Okay, how are we all? Been teaching through a series, uh, episode by episode. This is the fourth episode of our series, Infinite, eight of the greatest stories forever told. And uh, hopefully you've been tracking along with that. If you haven't been here on any, any given week, Louis mentioned we've got a podcast. You can listen to that. Good chance to get back into your Bible if you're not a regular Bible person. We're just preaching straight from stories that are recorded in the Bible that, 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 that have lessons and principles that are helpful for us today. Many, in many cases, thousands of years after these stories took place. This morning I want to talk about a dude named Daniel. And uh, some of you may have, may have sort of know a little bit about Daniel. Maybe some of you don't know anything about Daniel. I'm going to kind of walk really quickly through his story. And again, I'm going to leave it mostly up to you guys to read about him in your own time. You can pick up his story. He kind of enters history, uh, recorded history, uh, when he was 15 years old. It start, his story starts to be recorded in Daniel. There's a book named after him. Uh, and, and chapter one starts to kind of pick up his story. And, and his story picks up when he was 15 years old. He was displaced from the, the, the place of his birth, the place that he'd, he'd been raised up to that time. And he was, he was taken to a, to a different land, a different land with different customs. Uh, and, and probably more importantly, or, or more kind of, um, of a challenging thing, he was taken to a place that had different gods. He himself uh, was someone who was raised to, to, to worship and follow the God of Israel. And that's the God of the Bible, the God that we believe in and follow today. And he was taken to a different land that worshipped different gods. And when you're 15, and, and, and life t- takes this kind of dramatic uh, pivot, it, it can be challenging. But one of Daniel's hallmarks, and you'll read it for yourself as you, as you read from chapter 1, one of Daniel's hallmarks is that despite what happened around him, despite the circumstances that happened to him, he, he always had a consistency in trusting God, that that was the one thing that didn't change and that he wouldn't allow to change. And so from chapter one, you'll read about his journey, about his story, about how he continued to trust God. And you'll see miracle after miracle after miracle take place in Daniel's life. And I just want to, I'm not going to read that. I'm not going to read chapters one, two, three. We're going to pick it up in chapter six. But, but, but when you read those, be reminded, and it's something I've said every single week so far from this Infinite series, is God loves to take us from our difficult circumstances and take us into better circumstances. God loves to bring a victory, a victory that he wins and we get the benefits. But God's primary agenda isn't just our happiness, isn't just our change of circumstances. That's often a secondary or even a tertiary agenda. God's primary agenda is that his glory is demonstrated, his power is demonstrated, and that the people around him, both us and the people who have been defeated by him, will realize that he is the one true God. And so when you read those first few chapters of Daniel's book, don't just marvel at the stories. Don't just be kind of thankful and inspired that Daniel's circumstances uh, were rescued on multiple occasions. But remember that we serve the same God who wants to intervene in our lives when our back's against the wall, when our circumstances aren't where we would want them to be, when there's a victory required. We serve a God who's committed to bring that victory because his 
He loves to be the star of the show. He wrote the show. He's the producer. He's the director. And he's the star of the show. He always has been. He currently is. And he always will be. All right. So picking up in Daniel chapter 6. Now, I'm not going to read the story for you. I'm going to give you the... Uh, uh, grandpa's going to tell you the story, kids. Gather round, gather round version. Okay, I'm just going to tell you the story. Encourage you to go and read it for yourself. But uh, we t- pick it up in, ch- in chapter 6 where Daniel, uh, a new king had been appointed. A dude named Darius. And uh, as often is the case when a new leader takes over an organization, he did some uh, reorganization of, of the uh, structure of the kingdom. And uh, he, he gathered over a hundred so people and he appointed them governors over various areas within his kingdom. And then he appointed three people as vice regals to be the people who supervise the governors. Okay, so there's the king, three vice regals, and I think it was 140 governors. That was his new leadership structure. Well, Daniel was one of the three vice regals. So Daniel was a direct report to the king, despite having grown up in a foreign land, was now raised to that level of trust and that level of prominence and, and oversaw a number of, of the governors. Well, what happened is that over a period of time, Daniel shone. Daniel uh, was head and shoulders above the other uh, two vice regals. So much so that, that King Darius actually promoted Daniel to be in charge of the vice regals and therefore all of the governors. He was the 2IC of King Darius's kingdom. Pretty lofty stuff, right? Well, as is often the case, unfortunately, in some people's life, some circles, some workplaces, when you rise to the top, because you've been diligent and faithful and hardworking, trusting that God will give you favor and that promotion does indeed come from the Lord, like God's word says it does. Not everyone's going to like it. Some people are going to be jealous. Some people are going to be vindictive. Some people are going to want to actually tear you down. And uh, this unfortunately happened around Daniel, that the vice regals around him didn't like the fact that Daniel was now in charge of everything. And uh, set up a plot to trip Daniel up. Well, the start of their plot, it all happened in the back rooms, as often the, is the case. They started digging around for dirt on Daniel. They started digging around for some evidence that they could present to the king that would force the king to have to reduce Daniel's powers or maybe get rid of him entirely. And they dug around his reputation they dug around his actions they dug around his words they dug around his history and they couldn't find a single thing to hold against him daniel had lived a life of such great character such great devotion to god that there was no dirt to even throw at him let alone any that would stick so the more they dug the more frustrated they got and so they realized they couldn't actually depose him from his lofty administrative role over them by using anything against him because there wasn't anything. So they had to kind of fabricate some kind of bizarre, crazy approach. So they came up with this idea. They knew that Daniel was devoted to God. They knew that Daniel was, was, was incredibly uh, trusting in God. And so they, they came up with the idea that they would, they would have the king sign a decree that nobody in the kingdom could pray to Daniel's God 
for 30 days. In fact, that all prayers had to be directed to the king. And that everyone had to follow this for 30 days. So they took this decree to the king. And through a little bit of uh, arm twisting and manipulation, they, Darius agreed to sign the decree that for a 30-day period in his kingdom, everyone, if they were going to pray, had to pray to him and that nobody was allowed to pray to Daniel's king, including, of course, Daniel, which was the plot all along. <laughs> and Daniel heard about this decree, decreeing that he wasn't allowed to pray to his God. And so what do you think the first thing that Daniel did? Daniel went home and prayed to his God. Problem is, he didn't have double glazed windows. The windows were open. And so while Daniel was praying to his God three times a day, breaking the law, praying to his God three times a day, like he'd done his entire life, these, these advisors of King Darius came snooping around and they heard, they heard Daniel praying. And so they went and told the king, King, you've just signed this decree. Well, guess what? Guess who we caught breaking the law? We caught Daniel, your two IC, breaking the law. And, and, and you now need to impose the law. Well, the decree was so strong, was so important. They set it up in such a way that if you broke the law, if you'd prayed to someone other than Darius in this 30 day window, the punishment is that you'll be thrown into a lion's den and not the Ashton Circus kind of kind of lions, lions that hadn't been fed anything for days, weeks and months. And so the second your, your toes hit the floor, you were lunch. Okay. That was the punishment that they'd signed up with his decree. So they caught Daniel, they dubbed him into the king and the king who loved Daniel and wanted to, to pardon Daniel, wanted to give Daniel a, a, a free kick, realized he was backed into a corner, that he had to actually uphold his decree. And against his will and certainly against his better judgment, he called for Daniel to come in. The Daniel that he'd loved, Daniel that he trusted, he called him to come in and, 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 and stand before the king. And in standing before the king, the king communicated to him, Daniel, you broke this decree, you prayed to your God, and because of that, you've left me no choice but to throw you into the lion's den to actually, for, you, for your life to end this very night. Life doesn't always go the way we expect, right? Right? This is a guy that had no dirt on him, nothing, nothing for anybody to accuse him of anything. And now he's facing death because he prayed. Crazy. Everything changed in a moment. You ever had that happen to you where everything changed in a moment? One day you had the job. Next day you didn't. I've, I've had that. One day you're in a relationship. Next day you're not. One day you're moving forward financially. Next day you're not. We're, we're, we're people who understand. We might not be facing death in these situations, but we certainly understand 
that life can change in a moment, that, that, that things can turn 180 degrees in a moment. And that's why, once again, these stories that we read, they're not just history stories about facts and, and people. They're stories that can teach us something today. Daniel's trust in God was definitely put to the test. One thing that's not clear, though, when you first read this story is by this point in time, Daniel is 90 years old. We picked up the story when he was 15. We, we, we then tr- trace his story from the age of 15 to the age of 90. And so what Daniel now has under his belt is nearly a century of seeing and experiencing God's faithfulness. And so for Daniel, this was simply the next opportunity for God to demonstrate his faithfulness. This was simply the next opportunity, albeit a pretty extreme one, for Daniel to trust in God and for God once again, and go back and read the stories between chapter 1 and chapter 6, for God once again to show off to the people that needed him the most. So Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. They, the, the, they pulled the, the, the stone seal shut. And so basically no one can see in. There's no viewing window. Uh, whatever happened in there happened. But there was no mystery as to what was going to happen in there. One man, 90 years old, hungry lions, in the morning, man bones, full lions. That's just it, right? There's no mystery. There's no like, wow, who thought that was going to happen? It was exactly what was going to happen. King Darius, however... To his credit, he couldn't sleep that night, full of remorse about what he had done. Tossed, turned, tormented by the fact that this, this, this man he loved, this man he trusted, this man who he had entrusted, that he had, he'd been manipulated, Darius had been manipulated into, into signing this decree and then enforcing this decree against Daniel, praying, to, just praying. So first thing in the morning, King Darius legs it to the lion's den. Can't see in, doesn't know what's happened. But he calls into the den. The story doesn't, doesn't say what he was thinking at the time. Whether he thought he'd be just calling into an echo chamber or not. But he called out, Daniel! Daniel, I, I hope... I really hope your God has saved you overnight. Now, I, 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 the story's not clear about where Darius' faith was, about whether Darius really believed that God could do that, whether he was calling out, on the other hand, maybe just to kind of ease his own conscience. conscience. It, it, there's, not, there's, there's no clarity around what Darius' motive, or whether just this, this, this kind of, you know, when you're feeling helpless and futile, it, it, just, it almost doesn't matter what you say. You just kind of... Bleh. And so he calls out, Daniel, Daniel, I just hope, I pray that, 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 that you made it through the night, that your God protected you through the night. And then he waited and he listened. He didn't know what he was going to hear. It Was he going to hear some... Lions with some lip-smacking, finger-licking good kind of noises going on. He didn't know what, what he was going to hear. The, the, and, uh, and he heard the voice of Daniel. 
say, yep, I'm good. First thing that happened when they threw me in here with those lions is instead of the lions pouncing, angels of the Lord appeared and went into battle for me and actually held the mouths of the lions shut. So, yeah, I'm good. You can let me out now. My God won. Lions, still hungry. It's pretty cool, hey? Some of you may have learned this story when you were, if you're a long-time churchy person growing up as a kid, maybe some of your kids have learned the story. Might I recommend, if you teach this story to your kids, now is a pretty good time to push pause because it's after this moment in the story that it's no longer PG. You can read that for yourself. But here's Daniel, 90 years old, been thrown in to the lion's den. And the writer, after the writer of that story, the, the, the person that recorded that story, after recording the fact that Daniel yelled out, I'm good. The angels of the Lord shut the lion's mouths, wrote these words. Daniel continued to trust God. That there's this unbroken thread of Daniel's life from long before he was 15 and displaced to right up to now. And continuing from now to when he's 90 years old and thrown in a lion's den. There's this unbroken thread despite the circumstances that happened around him, this unbroken thread of trust. And the big idea that I want us to take away from the story of Daniel is a simple one. It's so simple. Don't miss it because of its simplicity. I can trust God no matter what. It's the sort of lesson that this second half, I've deliberately broken this up. I can trust God. We could have put an ellipsis in that second line, a blank. That, that at any point in our life, just fill in the blank. I can trust God even when this is happening. I can trust God despite the fact that this is happening. I can trust God even when my life has turned in a moment. Even when the people around me have turned in a moment. Even when the king who I've served faithfully, who I know loves me, even he's been forced to, to turn against me. That even then. I can trust God. There's nothing that, 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 that I can't fill in the blank. Man, that's a lofty goal for our faith. I can trust God no matter what. But here's the deal. It is critical. Trust is critical. Trust is the foundation of every relationship. Don't ever underestimate the importance of trust. And by the way, you probably haven't underestimated the importance of trust at times in your life when someone's broken your trust. Then all of a sudden you realize, whoa, trust is a big deal. We teach our, our team members around here, trust is something you build day on, day on, week on, week on, month on, month on. We call it a platform of trust. You keep building that, building that, building that. And by the way, we can also do things that erodes the platform of trust. But we, we, we have to be committed to building trust, building trust with people and then having a relationship with God that sees trust built. But here's how trust works. Trust, trust is, is, is the result of a transaction. 
Trust is the result of a transaction where I risk a little bit of myself, right? Be a bit more vulnerable with you than I've been before. Uh, maybe lend you something that, that, that's very dear to me and you know, I wouldn't just lend to anyone, but I'm going to lend it to you. I'm going to take a risk here. And I, and I do that as the first step in this transaction with the hope that you're not going to burn me in response. That's how trust, that, that's how this transaction works. And if you, if you don't burn me, then trust gets built. But if you do burn me, then trust gets eroded, right? The problem is that some of us have done that. We've taken those risks and we've gotten burnt. And as a consequence, some of us have developed a hesitancy to trust. And we can carry this same approach over to God. I mean, it happens in our everyday relationships. There's some family members that we've risked a little and gotten burnt, and that's eroded our trust. There's some colleagues that we've risked a little and gotten burnt, and that's eroded our trust. And there's times where we've risked a little with God. God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to put a little bit more faith in you. I'm going to stretch my faith a little in a way I've never done before. I'm going I'm to give a bit more and, and, and trust that I'm not going to get burnt, that I'm not going to be left short to pay the bills. I'm going to put you first. I, I'm going I'm to serve you and, and, and trust that, 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 that I'm going to be able to make that work in my already busy schedule, that I'm going to put you first in my calendar. I'm going to, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going I'm to pray a prayer to you. I need this. I need healing. I need restoration. God, I'm going to, I'm going, to, I'm going to risk a little of myself and, 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 and I'm going to hope that I don't get burned. In fact, in fact, not only do I hope I don't get burned, I, I, hope, I hope that you do something remarkable in response to my risk. And some of you, God hasn't responded in the way that you'd hoped. And as a consequence, just like it's happened with our human relationships that's eroded your trust a little bit. And I get that. The dark side, however, is that the more uncertainty we face, the more we need to trust God. And yet it's often been in these times of uncertainty where we felt God hasn't come through on occasion that make us more hesitant to trust him again. Well, I point you to Daniel. 90 years old gets thrown into a lion's den. And a huge takeaway from, from Daniel's experience is that when he was th thrown into that lion's den, rather than thinking about the times that God seemingly didn't answer his prayers, he reached back and recalled the times, the many times of God's faithfulness and drew on that faithfulness, drew on the times where God didn't burn him, but actually 
rescued him, actually answered his prayers. And as a consequence of that, trusted God again, this kind of unbroken thread. This is one of the reasons we're teaching these eight episodes of eight of the greatest stories forever told, because each of these stories are reminders to us of God's faithfulness. They may have been things that happened to Elijah. They may have been things that happened to Daniel. They may have been things that happened to Moses. But the big takeaway is that we're looking at the same God. We might be looking at different people, different circumstances, but we're looking at the same God, the God who describes himself the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. We need to look back at God's faithfulness, not just in our life, like Daniel could over nearly a century of God's faithfulness, but over thousands of years of God's faithfulness. So that when we are in a circumstance, when we're in a situation where we need to trust him more than ever, we don't just take like a a 30 second goldfish kind of uh, replay moment, but rather we look back and say, boy, God, you're the God of the Alpha and the Omega. You're the God of the ages and you've done that and you've done that and you've done that and you've done that. So here's what I'm going to do right here, right now. I'm going to trust you no matter what. I'm going to draw on thousands of years of faithfulness. (laughs) And I said, don't look at this and write it off as being too simplistic. It's really important. You could be sitting there right now and, and, and looking at me sideways I'm aware of that. Mark, you're a little bit naive. I'm aware of that. Well, if I am, then I got a head start on you. Because Jesus gave us a little clue on how we should approach him. Let me read it for you. The people were bringing children to Jesus, hoping he might touch them. The disciples shooed them off. <laughs> Children are welcome at Elevate Church, just by the way. Let me go on record as saying that. Not just welcome, we love them. We want them to drown us out. We want them to go, let's have a noise competition, Elevate Kids, who can get the most excited. Well, we'd have lost that one anyway. Crikey. We love it. Jesus loves it. But Jesus was irate and let them know it. Don't push these children away. Don't ever get between them and me. These children are at the very center of life in the kingdom. Mark this, right? You can do it. Mark this. Unless you accept God's kingdom in the simplicity of a child, you'll never get in. I was talking with uh, one of the uh, team at head office during the week. uh, Shares an office, not shares an office, uh, adjacent office to our Jess Everson lady named Natalie, and I was talking with her on the phone, and we were just talking about faith and, and, and uh, trusting God, and, uh, and, and, I, and she said, boy, you know, we always got to remember to trust God the way kids trust God, and, uh, and I said, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, she said, um, she said, yeah, a few years ago, how do you, she, she's got five kids now, um, she's been productive. Um, she, uh, she, her, her youngest baby was having trouble sleeping and night after night, screaming, crying, screaming, crying, screaming, crying. And so, you know, baby's not happy. That's why baby's screaming, crying. Mum doesn't know why baby's screaming, crying, but you know, mum's trying to soothe baby. Baby 
was unsoothable. And the longer that baby's unsoothable, uh, mum becomes unsoothable. Some of you understand. And so this particular morning, it was 3 a.m. And mum's in there with baby, trying to soothe baby, praying for baby. You know, God, help baby go to sleep, help whatever it is that baby's struggling with. And, and God wasn't answering mum's prayer. Baby was unsoothable. So mum did what any faith-filled, prayer-worrying mum would do. Mum went into her eldest daughter's bedroom at 3 a.m. and woke up her daughter and said, I need you to come and pray for baby. And marched her daughter into baby's room and said, pray for the baby. And the daughter went, Jesus, make the baby sleep. Spun around, went back to bed. Instantly, baby stopped crying. Baby went to sleep. That's superpowers. That's faith of a kid. Kids expect God to do the impossible. So why is that? Why, why is it that kids believe the impossible? Remember a couple of years ago, uh, Louie and I went over to uh, Pete and Colleen Goodall's house for dinner. There are a couple of our, our leaders. We went over to their house for dinner. And uh, I said to Colleen as we, as we arrived, how's your day? Normal question. How was your day? Oh, she said, oh, so stressful. I said, oh, yeah, why why stressful? (sighs) Well, we just bought Josiah a Superman cape. Now, Josiah at the time was four years old, their eldest son, four years old. We just bought him a Superman cape. I said, oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember when my mom bought me me some Superman outfits. I remember. Yeah. And so every time I left the kitchen, he decided to climb up on our chest freezer and he decided, because now he's got a cape on, that he's going to not try, but ostensibly succeed to be able to not jump, but fly from the top of the chest freezer over to the kitchen bench top. A span of, oh, I didn't measure it, but I don't know. I'm trying to picture their house back then. It's a good, it was a good, it was about a four meter span. But look, four meters isn't a problem, no matter whether you're four years old or 44 years old. Because you can fly. You could just kind of hover if you want. Dropping is not an option. So you got nothing to fear. So Carly said, every time I left the room, I had to quickly duck my head around seconds later to see if Josiah had climbed up on the chest freezer. And he had. So every time from that moment on that I left the room, he had to come with me. All day. So it was incredibly stressful. Right, yeah, that would be stressful. Kids believe the impossible. I mean, from a kid's point of view, you know, they think Superman's pretty unreal. They, they think God's even more unreal. Superman's capable of doing the impossible. God's even more, more capable of doing the impossible. Elevate Kids last month, we're all walking around with uh, superhero costumes. And, and, and I love that. Our team, you know, God's even stronger in, than them. If you can believe that. Lewis Carroll records in Alice in Wonderland, little dialogue between Alice and the queen. And you'll have to ignore the punctuation here. But Alice says to the queen, there's no use trying. One cannot believe impossible things. And the queen replied, I dare believe you haven't had much practice, said the queen. When I was your age, I always did it for half an hour a day. 
Well, sometimes I believed as much as six impossible things before breakfast. See, when kids learn about God doing a miracle, they're not actually surprised because that's what God does. That's what he's meant to do. God did a miracle. Well, duh, mom. Well, duh, dad. That's his job. It's what he does. And, and, and yet we make the mistake. We, see, we can continue that trajectory like the queen. We can, we, you, I believe you haven't had much practice. We can keep practicing remembering the times of God's faithfulness or we can choose the alternate fork in the road and, and focus our attention on the times where we don't think God was faithful. And one will lead to us building trust in God and trusting God no matter what. And the other will lead to us eroding trust. And I pray that we are people that believe the impossible. I pray that we're a culture that believes for impossible things. We live as humans that, that are incredibly, incredibly uh, qualified at doing the impossible. Just a century ago, it was thought impossible that you can take a little glass ball and put a, a filament in it and then walk across to another side of the room and make it go light, dark, light, dark, light, dark, light, dark, all you like. By flicking a switch, that was considered impossible. But now we just take it for granted. It was impossible. It was considered impossible for man to be able to fly in an aircraft. Until two brothers who owned a bicycle shop, Wilbur and Orville Wright, decided to do the impossible. Now, I, I want I to share something just quickly in, in their story. They, they were uh, born and raised in Dayton, Ohio. And uh, they had this vision of achieving the impossible, of building and launching a, a, man, a manned aircraft that, that, that flew. Um, and to do it, they had to leave America and relocate to France because everyone around them in America was telling them it was impossible. Whereas the French welcomed them because they had a culture that they wanted to see people do the impossible. Parents, the culture you create in your house, in your family, matters. As Elevate Church, as long as Louis and I are leading here, we are going to be talking about a God who can do the impossible. We're going to be talking to you and declaring over your lives that through God and his power working in you, you can do the impossible. You're not going to hear the chant, you can't do that, I can't do that, God can't do that around here. You're not going to hear that. You're going to hear, I can trust God no matter what. You're going to hear Debbie DeBlanc getting up in your grill saying, you don't have to stress if God's told you to do it. Go, Debbie. I say this about people. I say this in various situations. I'm going to apply it in this situation too. Final word on the subject this morning. Don't say God's no for him. Don't look at the fork in the road about the times where, where God seemingly didn't answer your prayer. And by the way, I don't believe God doesn't answer prayer. He always answers prayer. It's just not always yes. Look at the times where God has proven himself faithful. 
in your life. Look at the times that God has proven himself faithful in Daniel's life, in Elijah's life, in Moses' life. Next week, Pete Goodall is going to be preaching about Jonah and, 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 and demonstrating God's faithfulness in Jonah's life. Look at those times. Look at those times. And with those times front and center, with that perspective front and center, approach God and ask him. Ask him to do the impossible. Even when you're in a situation where you don't think it's possible, with God, all things are possible. Ask him. Don't say his no for him. He might say no, but guess what? He might say yes. And what if he didn't say yes simply because you didn't ask him? You said his no for him because you didn't have the faith that could trust him no matter what, I want us to be people. God wants us to be people that trust him no matter what. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you are constantly reminding us of your faithfulness, of your character, of your power, of your intent. And uh, pray that we are people who lean into you and not our own understanding, who trust you and not just the things that we can see that aren't led and dictated to by circumstances, but are led by who you are and what you can do and what you want to do, by your promises, by the destiny you've called us to. And that as a consequence, we live a life with purpose, on purpose, in Jesus' name. Amen.